he that believeth not shall be damned. A reading from John Owen on his commentary on the letter to the Hebrews. Now, primitive unbelief is twofold. In refusing to believe when it is required, or in rejecting the faith after it has been received. The first is, when the object of faith or that which is to be believed is according to the mind of God, and in the way of his appointment proposed to men, when sufficient evidence is given to the truth and goodness of what is so proposed, and when the authority is made known on which faith is required, yet they refuse to believe. For these three things are revelation of the things to be believed made known in the way of God, sufficient evidence given to the truth proposed, and a just assertion of the authority of God requiring faith and obedience, rendered the unbelief of men primitive. Now as this has its root in the natural darkness, blindness, and depravedness of the minds of men, so it is seduced and acted not without new sinful prejudices and stubbornness of the will, refusing to attend to and consider the evidence as that are given to the truth proposed, or the goodness and excellency of the things themselves contained in the propositions of truth, nor without signal effects of hardness of heart, love of sin, and pleasure, keeping men off from the obedience that is required. Now, some examples may clear these particulars first. The root of this unbelief is in the original deprivation of our natures, with that spiritual impotency and enmity to God in which it consists. There is such an impotency in us by nature that no man of himself by his own strength can believe, can come to Christ. So he himself informs us in John 6 verse 44, No man, he says, can come to me except the Father draw him. That is, none can believe unless they are in an especial manner taught of God as he explains himself in the next verse. Again, by nature that carnal mind is in all men, which is enmity against God, which is not subject to his law, neither indeed can be, Romans 8 verse 7. And this may be referred all that is spoken about the death of men in sin, their blindness and distrust, their alienation from God and obstinacy in it. This is a root and remote cause of all unbelief. Men in the state of nature neither can nor will believe the gospel, but secondly, besides the general cause of unbelief when it comes to particular instances, and the gospel is proposed to this or that man for his assent and submission to it, there is always some special corruption of mind or will voluntarily act if the soul be kept off from believing, and on the account of it principally and not merely of original impotency and enmity against God is the guilt of unbelief reflected upon the souls of sinners. There is the same fundamental remote cause of unbelief in all that refuse the gospel, but the next immediate proper cause of it is peculiar to every individual unbeliever. First, some are kept off from believing the gospel by inveterate prejudices in their minds, which they have taken in upon corrupt principles and interests. This shut up of old most of the Jews under their unbelief. They had received many prejudices against the person of Christ, which on all occasions they expressed, and so were offended at him, and would not believe that he was poor, that he came out of Galilee, that the rulers and teachers of the church rejected him, were their pleas against him. So also they had against his doctrine, and that principally on two false principles. One of justification by the works of the law, as our apostle directly declares in Romans 9, verses 31 and 32, and Romans 10, verse 3. The other 
of the perpetuity or unchangeableness of the institutions of Moses with which the apostle deals in this epistle. And these prejudices arose partly from their pride in seeking after righteousness by the works of the law, and partly from a corrupt desire of earthly things, riches, dominion, and wealth, which they expected with and by their Messiah, and which I have treated elsewhere at large. These were in many the immediate causes of their unbelief, as is everywhere manifest in the gospel. And so is it with many at all times, prejudices against the preachers of the gospel on a number of accounts, and against their doctrine is either useless or false or unintelligible or somewhat they know not what, which they do not like, that keeps them off from attending to the word and believing, John 5 verse 44. Secondly, some special obstinacy of the will from those prejudices offers itself in this manner. Our Savior tells the Pharisees, John 5, verse 40, You will not come to me that you might have life. It is not the perverseness and obstinacy that is in the wills of all men by nature that our Savior here intends, but a special perverseness in them arising out of a special envy to and hatred of him and his doctrine. Hence they did not only not receive him, which might be charged on their natural impotency, but they put forth a positive act of their wills in refusing and rejecting him. And on this account the guilt of men's unbelief is absolutely resolved into their own wills. And whether it be discovered or not, this is a condition with many and at all times and seasons. Thirdly, Love of their sin is, with some, the immediate cause of their actual unbelief, John 3, verse 19. This is a condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. The light of the gospel is brought to a place or people. They come so near it as to discover its end and tendency, but so soon as they find that it aims to part them and their sins, they will have no more to do with it. And on this account, condemnation follows the preaching of the gospel, though its own proper end be salvation and that only. And this is the common way of the ruin of souls. They don't like the terms of the gospel because of their love of sin. And so they perish in and forth their iniquities. Fourthly, stupid ignorance arising from the possessing of the minds of men with other things inconsistent with the faith and obedience of the gospel through the craft and subtlety of Satan, is another cause of this. So our apostle tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It is when the minds of men are beamed into with the light of the gospel that they believe. For by that light is faith produced. How is this hindered? How is it obstructed? It is by the darkness and blindness of their minds. What darkness is this? That which is natural and common to all? No, but that which is in a peculiar manner brought and reflected on the minds of some men by the craft and deceits of the God of this world. That is, through his temptations and suggestions, he so fills and possesses their minds with the things of this world whence he is here peculiarly called the God of this world, that they are kept in a stupid and brutish ignorance of spiritual things, and this keeps them off from believing. These are a few of the many instances that might be given of the immediate causes of their primitive unbelief, which consists in the rejecting or not receiving the truths of the gospel, 
when they are proposed in a due manner to the minds of men. And as fully clear as the holiness and righteousness of God and his judgments against final and impenitent unbelievers to whom the gospel is preached. For as that impotency which is in them naturally is culpable, and it is no excuse for them for not believing because of themselves they could not so do, then it is by their own default that they are brought into that condition. So everyone in his own person who believes not does by a voluntary act of his will reject the gospel and that on such corrupt principles as none can deny to be a sin. Secondly, there is an unbelief that consists in a rejection of the truth of the gospel after that has been admitted, acknowledged, and professed. Some after they have been convinced of the truth and made profession of it. Yet through the temptations of the world, the corruption of their own hearts, a love of sin, or fear of persecution, allow their convictions to wear off, or do cast them out and reject a faith that they have owned. In this is frequent mention made in the gospel, and no less frequent caution given against it. And this in general is the highest aggravation of this sin. For although the former kind of primitive unbelief will certainly prove destructive to them, they continue in it. And it may be said that this can do no more, yet this has two great evils attending it that the other has no concern in. The first is the difficulty that there is in being recovered out of this condition. Who has already withstood the efficacy of the only remedy for his distempers? Who has rejected and despised it? What then can cure him? This he who never received the gospel, be he never so bad or sinful or liable to this. He is not as yet as it were made a trial of what it is, and is free from that contempt cast upon it which is done by the other, who declares that he has made a trial of it and doesn't value it. This on many reasons renders his recovery difficult, almost impossible. Again, there is the degree of this unbelief which puts the soul absolutely into an irrecoverable condition in this world. For whereinsoever the formality of sin against the Holy Ghost that shall not be pardoned consists, yet this is a manner of it, without which it is impossible that anyone should be guilty of that sin. There must be a renunciation of truth, known and professed, or the guilt of that sin cannot be contracted. Now this, be they never so wicked they are free from, who never received, admitted, or professed the truth. The sin against the Holy Spirit is a sin peculiar to them who have made a profession. And from this arises a special aggravation of their punishment at the last day. So the Apostle Peter determines this matter. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, and after they had known it, to turn from the Holy Commandment delivered to them. Second Peter 2 verse 21. Again, this unbelief in rejecting the gospel is either notional and practical, or practical only. First, if it be notional, it will also be practical. If men once reject their profession of the truth of the gospel, quenching their light into it and understanding of it, their practice of sin will be answerable to this. Renegades from the gospel are the greatest villains in the world. Neither do men voluntarily renounce the light, but to give themselves up to the deeds of darkness. Secondly, it may be practical only, so is it in them, who profess that they know God, but in works deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate, Titus 1 verse 16. Men who walk in some kind of profession, yet their end is destruction, and that because their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, who mind earthly things, Philippians 3 verse 19. 
The corruptions of such men absolutely prevail over the convictions and the power of sin in their wills and affections cast off all influencing light from their minds or understandings. Such men as these, although they do not in words deny the truth of the gospel, yet they yield no obedience to it. They neither expect any good from its promises nor fear any great evil from its threatenings which formerly had some more effectual impressions upon them. And this is the condition of unspeakable multitudes in the world. 